Welcome to Claire and Aaron's The 100 Podcast, which we have not yet named. Um, uh, I'm Claire. I'm a 34-year-old writer in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm Aaron, and I am a 33-year-old English professor in Mississippi. Uh, and we have been best friends for 15 years? Yeah, 15 years. Yes. So Aaron got me hooked on this show last spring, and then just instantly and obsessively fell sort of deeply into this rabbit hole. And you were introduced to it not super long before then, right? No, I think I started watching, I'd like, I'd, I'd seen a bunch of stuff about it just kind of around, like on the internet. And I was curious and, um, and season one was on Netflix. So I think I started watching in January of last year. I think I like, I binged through season one and the first half of season two in time. So I started watching live either, either 209 or the week after that. It's for, so 210. So like right at the halfway point in season two. Okay. Um, Mm. yeah. So, but I was definitely like, you know, same thing, like got through season one and then it was just like, it was all over from there. (laughs) And I was totally obsessed with it. And like, I was telling everyone that I knew, you know, like, oh my God, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. And, uh, and I kept like, I, I mean, I think I was bothering you for like, you know, you like started watching in like April or something Mm -hmm. after season two ended. And I had been telling you for months. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. You got to watch it. Yes. So season three is the first season that we have a that we've watched together in you know the yeah. same time and in in real time instead of in binge time, which I was unprepared for how difficult that was going to be. I know, you know, right? waiting yeah. week. Um, but so so we've been sort of brainstorming an extensive, hilarious length about our theories and speculations and and you know what we thought was going to happen this season. And we have like you know. We had like a Google Doc that was like pages and pages and pages of, you know, who do we think is going to die? What's happening with the City of Light? What's, you know, how are Clark and Melanie going to get back together again? Like all of these sort of different, you know, things. And so we decided like, you know, in on the off chance that other people were also listen, interested in listening to us yell forever about our speculation about what the city of light is going to turn out to be you know here we are with this podcast so that people can listen to us <laughs> yell at each other in real time <laughs> so we you're hope it's you're very interesting people to listen to yell at each other yes we think. so we hope that you think so as well we hope this is not um, a disaster <laughs> as a pledge to ourselves i will say our our predictions about season three so far have been like like ridiculously accurate for the most like we got a few yeah. things wrong but like basically all of the big stuff we got right and yeah. a lot of the little stuff so yeah I so feel what like... I'm saying is that we are reliable like, like it's very smart and reliable yelling yes exactly <laughs> yes yes we we have we have solid instincts we think we, we feel like we've yeah. cracked the code of this season so yes we do we we'll do. find out if we're right yes exactly stay tuned so here we are in Polis, basically lights up and we begin with Clark and Murphy still locked in that room. Do we know how long it's been? Does anyone tell us? Like, is it like later that day? No. Has it been like a I, week? I think, I think okay. Murphy says this room that we've been stuck in. for Because like, you know, when, when they finally open the door and Titus is like, here's some disguises, get out. Oh, right. And Clark yeah. is like, wait a minute. I, you know, like I saw it right. I think right. Murphy says something like you, okay, like what the hell? Now you don't want to get out of the room that we've been trapped in for 24 hours. So I think he says it's been like a day. The only reason that I had a big question about how long it's been is that then like it has to have been enough time for 
people from Ice Nation to get there. And I don't know, like, yeah. what were Ronan and Antari just, like, kicking it in Polis? Did they go home? Like, where in Askeda did they live? Like, so I had, I had some, like, logistical questions just in terms of, like, everyone's got to get there for the Conclave. And, like, the Nightbloods, yeah. like, live in the tower, presumably, or, like, nearby, but Ronan and Antari don't. So I was like, so yeah. I think I couldn't remember if we knew how long it had been. So, okay, so it's been a day. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's still a little kind of shaky because, like, well, for one thing, at this point, I don't remember, I, I don't know how many, like, how many days has it been since Naya died, right? Like, well, not right. that many. Right. Yeah. So I don't think. Could, yeah. So they could still be so, in Polis. They could. And they could, yeah, they could have just been hanging out in Polis. They could have just been, like, you know, because, like, part of their territory, at least we know, is relatively close to Arcadia, which means that it's right. relatively close to Polis. So it's, like, possible also that they're just kind of, like, hanging around in that, you know, like, plotting. Like, because, you know, like, the thing that happened last is that Lexa killed their queen. Right. Um, just, like, up and was, like, forget all the rules to this right. very, like, <laughs> rule-laden fight to the death i'm just gonna kill the queen instead uh, um so i think like possibly they're just hanging around kind of plotting their next move but um but yeah it's definitely not <laughs> explained right right or addressed in like on the screen yeah. in any way they just are kind of like hey you guys are back <laughs> and it was great because like i missed them so i was happy to see them yeah but oh, also God, I, I was like we know that asgard is a thousand miles so you probably didn't like yeah, go right? all the way home Anyway. Right? Yeah. I mean, they couldn't have. But, like, yeah, yeah. no, it's really funny. Like, I kind of didn't question it, because I was just like, Roan, you know, like, yeah. like <laughs> my buddy. Back, like, yeah. awesome. <laughs> you know, like, every moment he's on the screen, I'm just like, bless you. <laughs> yes. He, I I feel like, overall, my feeling about the Polish storyline in this last episode is that the, the trifecta of Roan and Antari and Murphy has, to me just sort of woke that whole storyline right back up oh, and yeah. gave it this oh, yeah. huge yeah. infusion of new crazy energy. And I, I, yeah. I think I sort of didn't realize like um, what, what it was missing in some ways was conflict that fell sort of personally directed towards Clark in a way. Like I, I think yeah. we, we lived for a really long time inside kind of watching Lexa's hold over the clans crumbling and Lexa's relationships with the ambassadors and, and her kind of status as like the unifier of the clans sort of dissolving a little bit, you know, piece by piece. And, and with Clark as kind of an observer of what was happening to grounder culture, yeah. what was happening well, to I mean, Lexa. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, I think like the problem, one of the, the big problems to me in 3A that didn't get a lot of comment because I think that people were just kind of like, so generally into polis you know and like the dazzle of that yeah of that storyline and then also like the dazzle of lexa is that like clark was really just i mean in a lot of ways clark was was just kind of like there to observe you know right. like she didn't do anything right she didn't really have any impact i mean like you know like she she was mostly just kind of like there to be a part of the Clark Lexa romantic storyline. And then like very, very, very subtextually, she was there because she was hiding from what she had done and because she wasn't ready to face her people. But like, that was like buried, you know, like it was kind of there a little bit. They like sort of half mentioned it a couple of times. And I think it was there in the subtext, but it was never like an actual enough, a part of her, of a storyline to really be called a storyline for her I think and that was really frustrating you know I, like that mm -hmm. was just something that was like 
I don't know. Like, I, I, I think that was, that was like a bigger problem maybe than it had seemed like it until suddenly you get to this episode and like instantly, you know, like the first few minutes, like the first minute of the show, the door opens, Titus is like, go home. And Clark is like, no, like, yeah. like I'm staying here until you carry out your promise. And I want to like see it. And I'm like, Oh, thank God. Clark is back. You know, that like, was, that Clark was, I thought like, it too. I consciously remember thinking like old school Clark is back and she's gonna yeah. like, like she's, she's crafty and she's clever and she's, and she's tenacious and she is like, it, it felt like um, the Clark that we all kind of fell in love with who had yeah. been, and I think, I think you're right. I, I think, I think there may have been an intention to make it um, a significant thing for her that she really was sort of intentionally hiding. Like she still, she still hasn't walked yeah. back through the gates of Arcadia where she left Bellamy right. at the end of last season. Like she still hasn't had right. that homecoming moment. But yeah. yeah, but it, but it's, it's so buried and we only get the sense that she's aware she's doing that when other characters like Octavia call her out on it. And, yeah, and then yeah. it's made I mean, and then which, is, which is the other problem, right, you know, because right. like she did not, she did not, she hardly interacted with anyone, any other, the main cast, yes. you know, like, so, so, and the only time we saw those moments is when she was confronted with those people. Right. Um, but they were very, very, a few and far between um you know so I think with all these like sort of issues compounded like part of it is just I think it was awkward because like if Clark didn't have anyone to talk to but Lexa right and she's not going to say that to Lexa right you know if, like for two reasons number one like Clark just as a character I think it wouldn't really make sense for her to be like well you know I would go home but I feel but I can't face them about my weather like they're not going to have a conversation number one and number two it would be it would like put it it, it it would screw up the story, the romantic storyline. Right, right, exactly. If Clark said to Lexa or said out loud, well, I mean, I'm only really here. Like, I would go home, really, but I just don't feel like I can. Like, that would really, like, throw a wrench in the story they were trying to tell, which was Clark and Lexa. Exactly. And so I think so it, they were in, like, a really, really difficult position there because, yeah. like, that that's romantic. They wanted that romantic storyline. They were committed to it, and it was so compressed Yes. That in a lot of ways, and they had to start from like Clark saying, I will kill you and get them to like sex scene in love. Right. In, in like essentially five episodes or less. Yeah. And so they could not afford, I think, to have anything kind of like, or they didn't feel like they could afford to have anything distracting from that trajectory. And so it like wound up sacrificing a lot. I think it wound up sacrificing Clark. You know, because they couldn't have her say like, well, you know, this is this is great in large part because like it lets me hide because like that, you know, like you say that and then she's not there for Lexa anymore. You well, know, like that that complicates that story. Yeah. And I think that I think that decision was wrong. I think that their, their love story could have worked if she had said that, you mm -hmm. know, like I think that 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 like we could have handled that level of complexity. Oh, yeah. Well, because um, that's a real but, thing that people do. I mean, I, I think that's I think what's. What's frustrating about, I think, the way I I felt a little bit, like, because I, I agree with you, that um, with that sentiment not being made explicit, is that yeah. I think the idea that your, your feelings for somebody can be real and also a convenient way to hide from other things going on in your life, and that that is just... Yeah a factor in a lot of people's real relationships and, and that's yeah. what makes them messy and complicated and that's relatable. I, I exactly. think I agree with you. I, I think that it would have been interesting to explore that because, because what I, 
what's unsettling in in the the sort of the the relationship as depicted between Clark and Lexa in relation to how Clark the information that she genuinely has about what's going on with her people is you know you have that scene where they're sort of like riding back on horses like before they they find Indra on the battlefield and they before right, they realize yeah, yeah. how bad things have gotten yeah where they're both sort of talking about the idea of like the genuinely believing that Clark is sort of returning home a hero. And yeah. and in contrast with the information that we, the viewers, have about what has just happened and what's about to happen to them, it feels so jarring that I wanted yeah. I wanted that to be deliberate. I wanted it to be like yeah, they they love each other, but also Clark is hiding. And this is intended to show yeah. us the extent to which she's letting, you know, the real feelings that she has become a it's an easier thing for her to think about an easier place for her to be. Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't yeah. take anything away from the validity of the relationship to also be like, okay, but girl, yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, right. Um, exactly. Exactly. And I think that would have been a much more deep and complex and honest relationship. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's like doing, I, I think, you know, like the viewers can handle it. Yeah. Um, And it would have set up for a breakup that was motivated by all sorts of tragic and complicated factors that would not have required Lexa to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Um, you exactly. Know, like, yeah. <laughs> Fixes that things. problem. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but like the other thing about that scene, um, and uh, maybe here we can circle back to what's happening politically in Polis now, but um, the other thing about that scene is that I also, I really wanted the political irony there to be deliberate too yeah like, i wanted it to be i wanted the like like jarring difference between lexa and clark honestly thinking that lexa just like like unilaterally just being like well i killed the queen so conflict done right um and then being like oh good job us versus what like sort of like pain and anguish and chaos in arcadia which, you know, like the execution wasn't, was right. not great, right? Obviously, we'll come back like, to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but then also, but obviously, like, you know, like it's clear, like, that stuff happened in Arcadia, even with how badly they did that, that storyline. Right. It's clear that in our, that stuff happened in Arcadia because people are, like, deeply, deeply upset about that. So I wanted that, 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 like, ironic contrast that, like, I wanted it to be deliberate, but the point of that, that, like, dissonance was that, like, Clark and Lexa don't get it you know like mm-hmm. and that Clark is living in this like part of what's appealing is because Lexa's is t- giving her kind of an easy answer like mm-hmm. hey look you just killed the bad guy and everything's okay you know like I made the call and we're all good now and then like get there and be like no that's not how it works you know like it's still a mess there are still issues there are still things you have to face I really wanted that irony to be deliberate both on a character level and on a, on a political level because I think it would have been a lot more complex and complicated and interesting and as it is you know it's just winds up being very like kind of black and white you know like which just exacerbates the problems with the with the pike storyline right. then you wind up with like looks a good guy pike bad guy you know and that's not very interesting right right well, uh, and like, like arcadians have like plenty of legit reasons to be like uh to call bullshit on like lexa just like out of nowhere without their permission being their queen essentially right and and i think that yeah i, I mean i i feel like it's it's interesting, like there are there are really interesting leader parallels between Lexa and Pike that that yeah. feel and and I think and in some ways I think that that feels like a it feels like a loaded thing to say because it seems like 
you know, because like Lex is a very popular character and, and Pike yeah. is very unpopular. But I but yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that the idea But setting all that aside, like structurally, narratively. Yeah. Narratively, I think the idea They've got a lot more in common than they than they don't. Right. <laughs> like like if you if you compare them both as leaders to the way that Kane wants to be a leader and, yeah. and you compare Kane's insistence on there being an election and his and he holds out as long as he can with the idea of like supporting the leader who has been elected you know like he 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 wants to be a believer in and a supporter of that process and he holds out until he can't anymore and i think that the idea that both pike and lexa have and i think this would be less troubling if we had gotten a lot of the which we know now sort of lives on the cutting room floor a lot of the scenes that made pike three-dimensional which I, I'm frustrated yeah. that we lost, you know, because the, I think there's something interesting in the idea that what looks yeah, like a yeah. dictator on the surface can be a person who genuinely believes with good reason that they have their people's best interests at heart and that it is all about perspective. I think there's important information about what motivates Pike that we didn't get until we'd yeah. already decided that he was a monster because he did terrible things. And then later we sort of got some yeah. explanation as to why. Um, so I think that, the contrast between him yeah. and Lexa yeah. making choices on behalf of their people without asking their people and that we view them both differently mm-hmm. because of what we know of who they are as people and leaders and things like that. And because of how the characters that we yeah. trust as like the POV characters see those behaviors and choices. Um, we feel very differently about yeah. who Lexa is versus who Pike is. But I think that that's an interesting, there's an interesting tension there to explore. Like what, what would it mean to think about the difference between, you know, is, is Lexa a dictator who doesn't want to be a dictator and finds herself in the position sometimes of having to be because her people don't share her values in a lot of ways, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, and, and which, which I think, which I think circles us back nicely to, now we have a we have the, the promise of a commander who is going to kind of continue exploring Lex's vision for what a new grander society might look like in Aiden. And then that ended horrifically. And and <laughs> now we have Ontario. And big picture wise, there's some really, really interesting parallels between Pike and Ontari. Um, sort of carrying over from, from Pike and Lexa, because I think if you think about like, so my, my hunch, which I've told you is that the kind of like the overarching story of this season, um, is the like final kind of like dissolution of the societies that arose in the immediate aftermath of, of the apocalypse. Yes. So this is kind of like, Agreed. this is like the apocalypse has been like kind of continuously ongoing for 97 years. Right. There was like the initial cataclysm. And then this is kind of like the stuff that carried over. And this is the point where like really what Becca has wrought winds up crumbling and being ultimately destroyed. And it's going to be replaced by something else. So I think it's interesting because, um, because in some ways, if you look at Pike and Antari, they are, they are the kind of like extreme cases that bring to the fore the kind of like fundamental flaws and contradictions within each society that are now undoing them. Yeah. So for instance, Pike, who is elected, you know, like Pike right. is the kind of like cautionary tale of, of, partly of democracy and then also of the certain kind of democracy that Arcadia has. Pike was elected. Mm-hmm. So the people chose him. 
the people chose him for the wrong reasons, right? Like that's the idea. They're scared. Right. This is again, this is what we're told. This is not what we were shown. They picked him because he was scared because they're scared because they're sort of motivated by, by prejudices and fears that um, have some basis, but that are kind of, you know, but that he kind of like foments into something else. But then also the reason that he is able to do what he's done is because of the the Exodus charter, right? It's right. because of the way that the Ark structured power in order to keep control over its people. So he he's elected, but he has the kind of almost absolute power in a lot of ways because of the way that Arcadian society has um has set up their government. And then also, like, you know, again, this is stuff that we're not shown, but that we're kind of told and in, in, in the subtext. Um, you know, like Cain earlier, you were saying, interestingly, like Cain has this vision for something new. You know, like when he was chancellor, he wanted to have an election. He could have kept power if he wanted to. Or or, or I guess Abby could have. Mm. They could have kept power, but they wanted to have an election. And, you know, like, and, and Cain, I think, like, the contrast between him season one as the kind of, like, Arcadian demagogue, like the one who right. believed in those rules of the arc that let them kill people when they felt like it was right. You know, like he, he's turned, he's done a 180 from that. I think that's really deliberate. And so, um, so you have Pike who's still sort of like 100% believes the ideology of the arc, which is, which is survival of our people above all other things. And he has this, you know, this like, this sort of ethos forged in that, you know, horrific three months that they've had on the ground with the ice nation having to, to, physically fight for their lives and sort of like building up this or sort of that shores up this belief that whatever you have to do to survive, you you do, you know, and that was true on the ark too. Like if you got to steal air from 300 people to keep the rest of them alive, you do it, right? Exactly. Like this is the ark. Yeah. So like he is, Pike is kind of like the extreme, all of those beliefs and that political system pushed to its absolute furthest logical extreme. And, and this is, and so I think maybe what's happening is we're watching it break. And I don't think it's like, it's not particularly elegantly done so far, but like, <laughs> but I think that's how it's happening. And if you look at Antari, it's, Antari is the same thing in a lot of ways. Antari, like, so the grounders have a political system and a set of beliefs that say blood must have blood. Right. That sort of glorify battlefield prowess and, and the basis of leadership for them is the ability to kill, you know, so like the conclave is killing all the other possible leaders, right. not to mention, you know, all the other stuff we know about, like, you know, ch- people being trained as warriors from young ages. Right. And there's a lot of like prestige attached to prowess on the battlefield, which means killing people. So you have, you have that side of it, you know, you have a society that's sort of built on this notion of justice that is very much an eye for an eye, you know, it's kind of built on, on, um, but blood must have blood and, and a political system that is also built on seizing power through force, through, through, um, sort of military force. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you have this kind of mythology, which says, which, which justifies that by saying, well, if you're the best, like essentially, if you're the best at killing people, that means that you have this sort of like, you've been chosen on a kind of metaphysical level. Um, and you're given this, the flame you're given this sort of like this thing which we know is is ai is technological and they i don't you know who knows what they actually know about it but whatever it's kind of mystical right um but having that the sort of like totemizing of that flame 
um, is in and of itself a justification of everything, supposedly a justification of everything that the commander does. Right. And so, so like, you know, that's a situation where like, if you have someone like Lexa who decides that she wants to choose blood must not have blood, she wants to choose a different path. Then technically everyone is supposed to follow her, right? Like it's, it's kind of down to whoever the commander is. What's going to happen is down to who that person is. Um, and obviously like that was, we're sort of got to see a little bit of that kind of not happening, you know, the, the pushback against Lex. And I wish, I really wish that would have been a much bigger part of the plot because I think, yeah, like watching the, like watching the like cultural, like the culture wars happening there would have been really interesting. But anyway, so I think that kind of started, but Antari is again, she's like the logical, like that set of values pushed to the logical extreme. Mm-hmm. If the way that you're supposed to seize power, if the legitimate way to seize power is just to kill people, just to like kill all the people who are challenging you um, and get the flame. Like she did that better than anybody else. And like, also like, I think it's significant there. And I don't know if this is deliberate or not, but like, think about like, that is exactly what Lexa did when she killed Maya. Yeah. What was her justification there? Just kill the person who is challenging your power. Right. And you have the right to do that because the fact that you did it gave you the right, essentially. Same thing with the ambassador she kicked out the window. You know, and like arguably like Lex's arc, her story is about her learning a different way, like learning to turn away from that. But that is the basis of grounder, uh, of, of grounder sovereignty. Like that is the basis. Well, and it's, and, and so, it's their, their whole, not even just sovereignty, but their whole value system. I mean, like that we, the first thing that we learn about Lincoln is that Lincoln is ostracized from among the other grounders in ways that are directly tied to being a person who abhors violence. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Lincoln was our earliest example of that in the show like that 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 is that his rebellion is peace right and right. now we know that and now we know that that's true of luna too mm-hmm. like this is what luna did was to rebel against that set of values that very assumption set of assumptions but i think you know you saw it too like when i i rewatched all the scenes with uh, bellamy and indra which i really loved but yes. like one thing that when bellamy is like begging her to let him go and he says like he just you know like what what'll happen like she's going to get caught. She's going to get killed. Like what, what what do you do if she gets killed or something like that? And she says, well, then she'll have the warrior's death that you denied me. Like Indra is still like, she's upset because like, she's still kind of internalized those values. Yeah. You know, like, so she's mad at him for not, you know, on some level for not, not finishing her off because like that didn't, that denied her that kind of, notion of honor so yeah so like so so Antari is just kind of like she's all of that basic stuff minus the honor which like I kind of love her I mean yeah I, <laughs> like, I kind of love her because just in the same sort of way where like, like you love Murphy because it's just like she just like strips it all away and is, is like here here's what you really believe like yeah. deep down yeah here is like the what the actual thing that you're like saying here if we get rid of all this like honorable death not honorable death like here's when you're allowed to kill someone here's when you're not allowed to kill someone's stuff right right like she's gonna go on that and that and that ring and kill all those kids the next day right right yeah (laughs) (laughs) she's kind of putting the lie to the idea that like that that's not essentially what like that conclave is about you know and like that's obviously very reductive and there's like a lot of other like you know there's like a lot of 
cultural apparatus around it. But I kind of love like those characters who are just like, let's get down to brass tacks, right, you know, like right. let's, let's see what happens when <laughs> we remove all of the like sort of like constraints from the situation right? and like, just go for it. <laughs> well, and, that's, like, and I'm, I'm interested in, I mean, I, so from, from the moment, the moment that we found out that Ontari was a nightblood and that we got the sense that even before we kind of knew the specifics, that whatever it meant to be a nightblood, whatever that black blood was for, that that is what makes mm-hmm. you eligible to be commander. Like instantly, and I'm sure many people got this. It's like, okay, so clearly, like she's she's for sure the next commander. Like she like oh, those, yeah. the children oh, yeah. have no chance. Like I didn't quite, yeah. I wasn't banking on like the beheading with the whole. Like that was it was like that was okay, a little well, that was kind of over the top. That was a little <laughs> yeah, it was a little Game of Thronesy for me. Um, one of many yeah, Game of Thrones yeah. moments in this episode that we didn't need, but um, but but the but I I so I yeah, felt pretty I sure it. from the moment that we met her that okay, so the reason that this character is being introduced and that and in the way that she was introduced is because the new because we're going to be testing what of the things that Lexa created can survive under somebody who is yeah. like the polar opposite of Lexa, and yeah, and yeah, so yeah. so the fact that you know, the fact that she's Ice Nation is super important. Um, mm-hmm. And and the fact that, you know, that she, that all, that we're we're sort of given this introduction that like, you know, you sort of get this, this lovely moment of like peace and stillness and the purification mm-hmm. ceremony and Aiden is being so sweet. And he's like, you know, we all promise, like whoever is the commander and you're just like, oh God, oh God, oh God, <laughs> you know, who's not in that room. And, and, you know, so it's like, oh, this will end in tears. But yeah. um but I, but what I like about the, the sort of the inevitability of that is that it sort of lulls you into this like false sense of security because you're like, you know, like Lexa picked Aiden, Aiden really cares about Clark. They all really love Lexa. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this is the way the system is supposed to work. And then, and like you, like, I really love disruptor characters. Like yeah, I, yeah, I love exactly, characters exactly. who come in and they are like, the story was taking a clear narrative shape and I am here to fuck everything up for you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. And, exactly. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and so, but what I'm interested in, that is the other kind of like unexpected twist, like the fucking up Ontari's fucking things up is the fact that if Ontari doesn't have the chip, there are really yeah. interesting questions about how she maintains the legitimacy of her ruling state yeah because i think i think it is you know like murphy you know murphy is a pragmatist murphy is gonna keep his head down and stay out of trouble and he's not gonna rat her out and i'm actually super i'm kind of into their chemistry i low-key ship it um and and i'm it's interesting to see him with somebody that has like he's like a sort of a similar approach to the world that he does where it's just he's very you know the thing that, that i think that i like about murphy that well, like is a strong word because because he's still he's very troubling. <laughs> but that I enjoy about him as a character is that like you always know where you stand with Murphy. Like yes. Murphy, there's no masks. There's no, he plays no games. And Ontari, I think, has the same way. She just comes in and she's like, "I will kill you all." Now I have yeah. done that. Um, and Rowan is not like that at all. Rowan yeah. plays his cards very close to the vest. Rowan, I think, has a genuine respect for Clark. We don't get a huge amount of information about the details of his relationship with his mother, but it wasn't great. And we, and we're not given a lot about how well he knew Antari, you know, cause he was, he was exiled, so he couldn't go home. So, 
So he presumably knows who she is and they have some kind of a relationship, but they don't seem close. And, and so technically the fact that she's not really commander because she doesn't have the commander chip and he means that he is technically still her king and there is an extent yeah. to which he's sort of the boss. And so, yeah. So what I'm wondering is how much is Rowan kind of playing a long game in, in the, in the hopes that another, like he may or may not know about Luna. Um, he, he, I'm sure has figured out that Clark having the chip means Clark is trying to find another Nightblood or trying to find someone else to be commander. Like that someone else out, mm-hmm. out there in the world exists who is blood compatible with this chip. I suspect he may just sort of be biding his time and kind of like letting Antari have her way until there's a better solution because I think he's a very crafty politician. But I'm really interested in kind of going forward what the tension and the relationship between the two of them is of like between Antari and Rowan, who is technically the boss of who. And and so when, like when he, when they're talking about like, you know, ring the bell and do the whatever with the thing so that the people know that I'm the new commander and he's like, you know, you know, because no one else, because she's like, you know, nobody, no one knows I don't have the chip. And then yeah. Ron's like, this guy fucking does. But he doesn't mention, <laughs> you know, he doesn't say, and also, so do I, king of Ice Nation. You know, like he doesn't, he sort of downplays the fact that like, he also has this information, you know. But uh, so, so I just, so that's something that I'm, I'm, um, that was a surprise to me that I was excited about and interested in watching how that sort of plays out is is more of a role for Rowan and I and I did hear and I can't remember did I hear this from you that he's confirmed to come back in season four yeah he is okay he is um, um for sure which is exciting which is great yeah, I love like, him and I'm like yeah. I'm super into like I mean I don't know how long it'll actually go on but like I actually think the like Antari the pretender thing I like I'm I'm really excited about oh that. me too I think there's like me a too. lot of really interesting possibilities yeah. and I really like I sort of wonder you know like Indra left Bellamy in that case she left to go back yeah and I sort of wonder like somebody's got to figure it out right yes. like somebody yes. somebody's gonna figure out that she's faking and I wonder if it's gonna be Indra I think that's a really good possibility because what because we know we know from the interviews that Adina has done and a lot of the things that she's sort of talked about, about Indra's role over the season. And which, by the way, I have to say, giving Indra a substantial and plot relevant role is one of the best things this season, bar none. Oh, yeah. For every sure, every storyline sure. she's in, she elevates. Every actor playing okay. opposite her is doing their best work. She's phenomenal. So, but, but that she's mentioned that part of her arc is like Indra really beginning to question sort of everything that she believed about what it means to be a grounder, who the grounders are, who she is in relation to that. And, yeah. and so you and I have been talking in our sort of early projections, you know, like our season projections kind of rundowns that inevitably that must mean that she comes face to face with this AI thing. And that part of why we get so much kind of concrete and specific foreshadowing of her specific fear of technology like the way the look like the camera giving you a close shot of the look on her face when Kane tries to hand her a gun like yeah um, the you know and even as far back as you know as season two when like when Octavia is explaining to Kane why they don't use firearms like that we that through through the lens of the grounders that we know we have a really clear understanding of this sort of anti-technology fear and we see it a lot in Indra and so yeah and and we also know that Indra has 
phenomenal reverence for the position of commander. I mean, that she genuinely personally loved Lexa, but that she also she's she's a good soldier, you know, and and yeah. she does what the commander tells her to do. And so I feel like I feel like there's all of these little hints and bits that we've been getting about sort of who yeah. she is and how she's evolving that make it seem like putting her in a position of choosing between somebody who is saying to her, I am your commander combined with Indra's realization that what makes somebody the commander isn't mysticism. It's a piece of technology that she doesn't understand combined with the fact that this person saying I'm your commander doesn't have that and, and her yeah. own inner moral compass about whether or not Antari is a good person. And we know that she hates Asgadel. Like we know that she has, yeah. that she has the same issues everyone else says with ice nation being overly bloodthirsty. So I feel like, and and that her respect and affection for Octavia and for Abby and for Kane yeah. and for Clark well, I was gonna say, is genuine. I really, I think it's really, really significant that in that conversation between Bellamy and Indra, Indra, it was like it was reaffirmed twice. First, when they were talking about you know like when they had the confrontation about um, killing the army, which I was also like so happy. Yes, that 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 Bellamy, like we had a scene where Bellamy had to face that from someone on the other side. And I'm so happy that it was Indra. That was like a perfect person. Perfect. Um, but like, you know, I thought it was, it was really significant that, that when he said, should I have let Pike kill you? And she said, why didn't you? And he said the same reason you have, haven't put that sword in me. And she said, Octavia, like, I think it's yes. really important that Octavia is. And then like when she was leaving, when the horns are going off and she's leaving, um, and Bellamy's, you know, like yelling at her, like, you know, I, maybe I now Octavia will see you will always choose your people first. And she says, Octavia, Octavia is my people. Yes. Like, oh, I, think I it's love really, that line. Yeah. Really, really, really significant and important yeah. going forward. Not only that Indra said Octavia is my people, because I think that's setting up her going back to Polis, you know, like being confronted with Antari, realizing that, that, you know, like the basis of, the kind of like uh, the basis on which she had sort of really truly believed you do what the commander says has right. been shattered. Right. That, you know, that's setting her up to return to her people. And now her people are, is Octavia. And then I also think it's really, really important that over and over and over again, the narrative keeps telling us that Octavia is the, Octavia is the exception. Right. You know, she's like, she's the exception for Bellamy. And, and we know why, because like they're Blake's. First of all, mm -hmm. she's the exception for Inja. She's the exception in Arcadia. She doesn't fit in Arcadia. She's not mm -hmm. really a grounder. You know, like, like Octavia, I think, is really the character who kind of represents if there's going to be a new way, if there's going to be something, if there's going to be something that isn't Arcadian and it isn't grounder and it's something else, you know, like I think Octavia is the character who, um, who embodies that or who represents that. I think so. And so too. I think it's really significant that we have two characters who are going to make a turn, you know, like Indra's going to go back to Polis and decide to turn away from the grounder, you know, from, from her, what had been her people back to Octavia. And Bellamy's going to make a turn away from what he had been doing, which is really just kind of like doubling down on our, the Arcadian system. Right. With right. He's going to look at that system. And, and they're both notice they're both going back to this, these systems that they had really believed in. Although with Bellamy, like, like, Indra, it totally makes sense. Bellamy, that, like, I'm sorry, that just doesn't... Like, I mean, I know, yeah. like, you can... There's all sorts of ways that, like, you can argue that, like, 
it makes sense that he would fear the grounders and hate them and blah, blah, blah. But like the one thing for me that seems like you cannot convince me that really makes sense is that Bellamy would be like, oh, hey, you know, the political system that like made me hide my sister under the floor of my whole life and floated right. my mom and imprisoned my sister and right. fucked over everything for me. Like 100% good job, guys. Let's definitely go back to that. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I'm sorry. And it makes no sense. But, you know, like, but according to the story that they've been told, that right. we've been told, like, we are informed that this is what Bellamy has done. Right, right. <laughs> he has completely bought into that system and, like, and bought into Pike and he's genuinely, truly believed, for whatever reason, um, that this is right. So I think we've got a nice parallel between these. What we're getting to there is two parallels between characters who are, like, wholly bought into a system which is crumbling, which is falling apart. And they're going to go back and they're going to look at it and they're going to turn around. And I think it's really significant significant that the, like the, the exception for both of them is Octavia. Yeah. Like she, like as a character it makes sense, but I think that's, that's also has to do with what she represents. Well, and that she was from, she was from the very beginning. She was the first sky person who made contact with the grounders and saw them as human beings. Like that was yeah, like her, exactly. she was introduced to us as, you know, as somebody who had always been a misfit, who had never felt like she fit in anywhere. And, um, and then, and then her arc in season one is so much about being the bridge between those cultures. And then when we watch yeah. her evolve over the course of season two, where she goes from being, you know, the, the sort of the scared little sister who is like experiencing freedom for the first time and is sort of trying that on for size and figuring out who she is, that she begins to find an identity. And part of why I found the, you know, Indra's arc this season so wonderful was like, of all the sort of devastating things that happen in this season two finale, Indra and Octavia's breakup like wrecked me because oh, it was God, like, I know. because it was like <laughs> Octavia finally had found a place and, and Indra's inability to, you know, because of her sort of grounder moral rigidity, her inability to not follow the commander and her inability to understand why Octavia was going to put her brother first, always above everything and it's like, no, Andrew, you don't understand. Like, they're the Blakes. They're all they have, you know. And and yeah, so right. yeah. it was just, it was devastating because it was like, it was as though Octavia had had, you know, the life that she wanted sort of dangled in front of her for like a second and then snatched away. I mean, I, I think that Octavia's role this season is one of the few things in 3A that has worked for me on every level. It accepting the fact that there's clearly stuff that got left on the cutting room floor. But like what we have yeah. seen has been, I, I think it's setting her up for a really interesting position where the fact that the fact of who she is and the fact of her past, even the bad parts of it have become vitally important. And, and so, so from, and from the moment that however many episodes ago it was that we saw Kane sneaking her out of Arcadia through, you know, the floor vents, you know, in that little, the little secret, like, cat door, you know, um, from the moment that that happened, and we realized what a significant role that was, and that it's Octavia who can do this, because she lived in the floorboards for 16 years, like, she's, like, yeah, she's, yeah. she's the, you know, and because she isn't a part of, like, the Arcadia insider elite, so she can sort of sneak around, and, like, no one no one will notice her absence the way they would notice like Harper, you know? And, and so it's who she is. And so there's this sort of lovely, satisfying kind of like reclaiming of her. Like when she says like, I was born for this and I was just like, Oh, and it's so, it's so viscerally satisfying because yeah. she's becoming 
a fully actualized version of herself and the, and one of the heroes of this season, unquestionably, not in spite of, but because of all of the shit that she's been through. And in this episode in particular, when the confrontation between her and Bellamy, where she basically tells him for the first time that she doesn't need him and that we see that she's right because it's it's her octavianness the the whole escape plan is like that's like octavia's brainchild there's a big elaborate distraction and then it's like she thinks everyone like and they're all hiding under the floorboards it's like you know octavia being octavia and and so so i really i love that she's one of the few characters that i feel like the show's done a consistently great job of her past continuing to matter i think that there are a couple of characters who who have taken um such huge leaps in who they are that we forget it's only been like four months it's been three years for us the viewers but it's been four months for these people as people and so i feel like the characters that i find the most interesting are the ones where their past and the things that have shaped them like continue to live on the surface like what's going on with raven like we we need we need so little made explicit about why Raven would make the choices that she's made about taking the chip and the city of life. And then also rebelling against it because everything that has happened to her is, is fresh in our mind. And the show doesn't have to remind us like, you know how her boyfriend died? Like, you know how she's super injured and she hates that about herself. Like it's just, it's just there. And I feel like with Octavia, finding an identity where she's not just the girl that lives on the floorboards and she's not just Bellamy's little sister that he's having to keep out of trouble. And she's not, you know, she's not fully sky person. She's not fully a grounder. And as painful as that is, and like her first kind of big scene of the season is really pushing back against Lincoln's assimilation when he joins the guard. And I think that that, I think in hindsight with what we know now about her arc and then Lincoln's arc, which we'll get to in a second, um, <laughs> that I, I feel like it's interesting. It's some nice foreshadowing of the fact that she's resistant to sort of the idea of being one thing or the other, because I think she's beginning to kind of come to like value about herself that status, you know, like she wants to be yeah. a grounder. She thinks of herself as more grounder than sky person, but Bellamy is always going to be the thing that pulls her back. So I just, yeah, I, I like, it took me, like it took me a while to get on board the Octavia train. Like I, I, I found her a little annoying during the first season and then I was warming to her in season two. I fully admit that this may be because I'm aggressively biased in favor of anybody who is in any kind of a plot line with Kane. It just makes me like them better. <laughs> um, but I, 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 but I love, I love Kane Tavia. I love oh, yeah. them plotting together. And I just love her getting to, getting to try on some different colors. Like that, like being, who is she not under feeling like Bellamy has to protect her? Yeah. Know? Although I will say, I think they really, really need to stop having Octavia beat up people of color in order to make them wake up and, like, like get over themselves. Like, uh, Agreed. Yes. It, it's happened twice now with Lincoln last season and Indra this season, and it seems like it's going to happen with Bellamy. Like, I mean, she's definitely going to beat him up, and then, like, it seems like even if it's not directly, like, even if he doesn't stand up immediately after Lincoln and Indra and go, like, yeah, okay. Right. Like, I think, like, the... the 
the purpose narratively of that is Bellamy's wake up call, you know, because the other thing right. I think we learned this week is that Bellamy doesn't yet understand why what he did is wrong. You know, he still thinks like, hey, I'm just trying to, he's like still A, trying to protect particular people. Right. And B, he's still just kind of like justifying everything according to, well, I was just trying to protect people. And so I think like he's, he's going to get beat up, you know, like the whatever, however that goes down, that horrible scene with the Blake's siblings that we're all just like yeah like like preemptively crying about um because it's so upsetting i mean i think like obviously the narrative purpose of that is like that's the moment when he realizes that you know like kind of that on top of realizing last week that his friends don't trust him anymore you know like reasonably right that's gonna be but like his sister beating him up and sort of yelling at him like that is gonna be the thing that makes him have his come to jesus moment which like i don't think it was you know like i I sort of like side eye the need for him to be physically beaten for that to happen but then also it's like now you've had octavia beat up three people of color right in order to like make them see the light that's a little like once is okay and i guess it makes sense twice is three times is a pattern that you should maybe yeah like look inside and think a little bit about why this keeps happening over and over and over again. And like what it sort of is saying narratively that you have the white girl who has to keep beating up the people of color to like make better again. Well, and I, and I think (laughs) um, because it, it seems that in the narrative, we're nearly always meant to be on Octavia's side. Yeah, so so sure. it's, it's because she's like, she's the morality. Is, pet, yeah, know? exactly. She's like, the one who's always right. Yeah, it's always right. And, and so it gets into some sort of very kind of creepy white savior territory where it's yeah. like within the needs of the narrative, like Octavia is right and the person of color is wrong and she's going to pound yeah. them until they realize it. And yeah. you're like, yeah. do you? Yeah. And like, again, it's one of those things like as with, as with so many things in this show and especially in this season, I'm sure they, they didn't, they never intended, they never oh, intended yeah. anything, yeah. you know, yeah. but like, this is the problem I think is like, there's like all this stuff like, okay, it doesn't matter if you intended it, if it, if you're doing it, you know, right. like right. it's coming out. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. This is, and, and the way it's going to be received is yeah. versus the way that you intended it to be received are going to tell you some really interesting things about where you're not asking questions, you know, exactly. that is exactly the right yeah. way to put it. I think where you're not asking questions. Cause I think that's kind of what, you know, not to like, I don't want to get like sidetracked on this too much, but sure. I think like the problem, you know, to me, I think in a lot of ways, the the disaster that was, you know, 3A and the end of 3A, especially like PR wise or, or just in terms of like representation fail, trope fail. I think it's just because like, this is what happens. I think this is like the object example of what happens when you have a bunch of people who really believe that they believe the right things. Yes. And that they're good, non-prejudiced people. And because they believe that, they don't think about what it is they're doing. Right. Because right. They, they don't, they don't like, they aren't interrogating themselves right. and they aren't interrogating their own narratives because they think they don't have to, because they think that they're, you know, like we're good people. We're like allies. We're not racist, you know? So obviously like nothing that we're going to do is going to be racist because we don't mean it to be. And it's like, well, that's not how it works. Especially if you're a white person and I'm speaking as a white person, like the, the times when you are convinced that you've got it figured out, and that you're one of the good ones, that's when you're going to fuck up the worst. Right. You know, like you have to be like thinking and, and considering, and especially if you're like creating a TV show or something like this, especially if you're creating a TV show that really wants to stake a claim on its representation. Yeah. You really have to be like interrogating yourself carefully all the time and never take for granted that, you know, like you are, that you're just the good guys. 
Right. And I think that's kind of where, you know, like in Lexa's death is obviously like the biggest, most uh, flagrant, um, or at least most like ballyhooed. Right. Fuck up on that, on that front. But I think the pattern with Octavia is another example of that. Like that happens mm-hmm. because they're not, I mean, like, I think it's, you know, it's one of those things that's probably subconscious, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. intentional, but it's happening and it's happening and it's not a coincidence that it's happening. You right. know, it's like, it can be unintentional and also not a coincidence. But I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, it's, you know, it's fantastic that you have cat, you have a very diverse cast. That's great. Right. That's step one. But then you need to really think about like, what are the, the sort of narrative roles that your cast are getting? And they do have, there's this kind of like, slightly uncomfortable tendency towards white saviordom with the young white women mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. And Octavia, unfortunately, like Octavia, I think is like fantastic. I love Octavia. She's a great character. You know, like I believe I, I agree with everything you said, but there's just that one, like, you know, like that little bit that makes me uncomfortable is the way that like, she's sort of being like repeatedly the narrative. It kind of puts her in that position. Yeah. Which is, you know, I don't know. So that's not like the B, like I wouldn't want to reduce Octavia to that because it's not all that she is. Right, right. And it's um, very fixable. So much more. It's a, it's a problem that's it's fixable, easily fixed. Yes, exactly. You know, exactly. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, but I do. You can sort of look at it and stop doing, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. But like, but, but like the thing, like, like if we get a third time, then it's just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like guys, guys, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of Bellamy and Octavia, the delinquents, the delinquents are back and super yeah. important. I, which I, which I love. One of the things I found the most exciting in kind of from the, from the very end of episode eight and then carrying through all of this one is, is like beginning to see, if not all of them, but like clumps of the delinquents coming back together again into what is sort of clearly leading towards becoming like a big, like, like that they're all going to come back together again at some point. And so we have like yeah. Clark is now teamed up again with Murphy, which is great. And Raven is now teamed up again with Jasper. And and that seeing, you know, Monty and Bellamy, you know, approaching the like Harper Miller, you know, adventure squad wanting to like get on board was so exciting to me. And And then to realize, and I was actually really, I was surprised and I was really glad that they really pushed all the way that they don't let them. You know, because yeah. the because the trailer, the little teaser trailer thing has a moment of like Bellamy saying, you know, we can we can save them, but we all have to work together. And Octavia says, you're the reason that they need saving. And and it isn't clear, of course, who he's talking to, but it seemed pretty implied that yeah. it was Miller and Harper. And and so realizing that it wasn't was like, oh my God, you know, and, and yeah. because it's sort of, it was like leading towards, okay, this is going to be the episode where the family's a family again, you know, and, and the fact that because of both Bellamy and Monty's choices, you know, and Harper dropping the sickest of burns on Monty, he's <laughs> like, does your yeah. mom know you're here? I was, like, here? I was like, damn. Oh, damn yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you're like, and you, like, you can't fault them. Like this is based yeah. in all kinds of facts. But so, so it was, but the, but the beginnings of seeing them kind of beginning to merge into clusters again where it really has felt over the course of of a lot of 3a like there were bits and pieces of them individually here and there and they were largely sort of paired up with adult that that a lot of the the substantial kind of character work and plot moving forward stuff that we saw from the delinquents was them 
in storylines that only nominally kind of involved each other, you know, and what what we saw them sort of at all. And so now I feel like this kind of trajectory of feeling like they're moving back together, you know, towards each other, I find just very satisfying. Like it feels like this is like, this is the show we started watching is these people, you know, riffing off of each other. And, and for sure. And while I feel like, you know, like I'm just like I was I'm super sad about Monroe because I loved Monroe. Um and and there were a lot of the delinquents that I really, you know, that's like the off that I miss. But I think that the choice to zero in on Harper and Miller, to pick those two and to really flesh them out as like like Harper has been like Harper's super badass, you know, and yeah. and just gets more and more interesting. And I've been really pleased with the Miller and Brian relationship. I really like that they've taken a little time to give it to, to sort of like, not just to like, like show that it's a real relationship, but also to like, you know, they set them up as a kind of like Montague Capulet situation. Right. Right. You know, a little bit where like, except for, I guess, if Montague Capulet, if they decided later to join the Montague Capulet right, right. families. But, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, time. One of the things that I love the most about this episode is that we, for the first time, it feels like in forever, we got some like really nice character, like, psychological and emotional and character beats that were given time to develop and to breathe yes. and to land. Yes. And like one of the best was, was Miller and Brian, you know, yes. like they, they didn't, they didn't like, they didn't skip straight from they, you know, like that we got, like we got the first conversation between them where Miller confronted them, you know, like that was mm-hmm. very well done, Yeah, you know, where it kind of like showed it was like, and, and the, it, it was nicely enough pace that we, I think we really got to kind of see like, like these two people really care about each other. And they also done the work to set up before that, that these, that these two people really care about each other, yeah. you know? So we got, and we had gotten to see earlier Brian's guilt when he planted the bug and that paid off, you know, yeah. so that was really nice. And then I thought like they did a good job with the reveal later. So like all these little moments, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of like that we got to see like emotional payoffs for even the, the minor characters. And, and we got to see a little moment of like, like, I love that they gave those moments with the, with Brian and Miller time because yeah. like in so many ways and such an otherwise actiony episode for the most part for the delinquents, like, you know, Harper, most of the, the rest of the episode, Harper is just like in like, you know, like adventure squad mode, you know, exactly. just like crawling yeah. in and out of yeah. like hidden bunkers and stuff yeah. like that. You know, it was nice that they gave us Brian and Miller as the kind of like emotional emblem of what was happening, of what, what was starting to happen in terms of people choosing sides in Arcadia yeah. based on who they loved, right? You know, mm-hmm. so like that's kind of what's happening in this episode is we're yeah. starting, we're, it's getting to the point where people are being forced to choose. You have to pick a side yeah. between like people that you love and things that you believe in. But Brian and Miller are, um, are like, they're obviously the first of several, like they're the first and then Monty's probably going to be next and then Bellamy mm-hmm. in some order. But I, I really like that they took the time to like set up that, that relationship and then give us in this episode, this episode, which is the turning point to give us like a, a, those two people mm-hmm. and that one relationship to kind of like, so get a moment to really feel the emotional stakes of what these people are choosing to do yeah. and of the kind of like political battle that's going on mm-hmm. in a way that like, like they could have easily tried to do that through Lincoln and Octavia or between Kane and Abby, but it wouldn't mm-hmm. quite be the same thing. So I think it was really, really nice that they were like, we're going to take a couple minutes and yeah. give you this relationship, which is sort of like thematically tied to all this other stuff yeah. and let you, let you really feel like the weight of the choice that Miller is making and that Brian is making and let you kind of like have a moment to feel like how, how me 
meaningful and important it is that Brian decides that that the fact that he loves Miller is more important than the fact that he feels like he owes his life to Pike. My only the only thing about that that I that I could wish was different is that I I feel like again so much comes back to the complexity of Pike not being fully it's realized. True. So it it doesn't and, really feel like that difficult. It shouldn't be that difficult to choice for Brian because right. like dud and it's like, like Miller or Pike. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love of your life or enormous asshole. But um, yeah. but I do, but I but I do feel like I think because the guy who plays Brian is a terrific actor and because. Brian and Miller's writing, I think, has been really good. Yeah. It does, like, it creates mistakes anyway. There's flashes all throughout this episode and the preview and the one before it. There's flashes of a far more interesting Charles Pike. The, the Pike yeah. who I think genuinely, like, when, when Bellamy says, don't kill the grounders, they literally just did what anybody would do. And Pike's like, you know what? You're right. And, yeah, and when, yeah. and when Pike, She's like out of nowhere. For yeah. The and, but and, it's like, and I, really? but, but like, I like in the scene, whatever scene it was, when the grounders come and they want Pike to be turned over to them and, and Pike is talking to Kane and Pike says to him, you know, I would do this if I thought it would actually help. I would totally do it. And I, yeah. I and maybe it's just because Mike Beach is phenomenal, but like, I believe him in that moment. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a Pike apologist, but I do, I, I believe that Charles Pike thinks he's a good man. And I believe that yeah. Charles Pike thinks that he is the only person who like has the stones to do what needs to be done and that he's willing to let you hate him because he is season one Kane who's just trying to keep humanity alive. You know, and here's, and here's the problem that, that, that Pike has. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of, indications that that's a pike that was written and that's even like was written. largely shot yeah and was just not given to us but like so here's the problem like i think you know like he is definitely a character who earnestly and sincerely believes that he's doing the right thing for his people and mm-hmm. and for the good of everyone's survival right yeah they they kept that part the part that they did not keep was the part that gave the audience some purchase on why he believes that and and right. gave us some purchase on thinking that he has some reasonable grounds for thinking that whether we agree with those grounds or not well and, that's the right. problem and that's like, we're just supposed to be like well like if he believes like so we're sort of left with well he sincerely believes it so whatever he does right. it doesn't matter what the content of the belief is as long as you sincerely believe it that's right. all that counts which is like deeply unsatisfying like right. that doesn't right. work I mean, like, especially for, like, the the enormity of the things that Pike and Bellamy do, right. that does not work. Right. And, like, that's the problem with, like, that's why Bell got screwed over by the, the massacre, too, because the mm-hmm. only justification we were given, but they really sincerely believed that it was right. right. But it was, like, so completely logical. So I think, like, 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 like Pike has gotten screwed over because, mm-hmm. like, because it's not enough. Because I think they kind of thought that it was enough to show that he really believed that what he was doing was the right thing. And it's right. not, you know, yeah, like we not. need yeah. that further complexity. We need to believe that he has some, some kind of reason beyond just right. like, I hate grounders. Right. Right. To because be what he's doing. Yeah. Because I, I mean, it's to, to me, you know, and we've talked about this before to me, the, the single most compelling piece of information that makes Pike a character that I feel that I understand is is the almost sort of throwaway line that we first get in episode six about the food stores. Yeah. And 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 so 
And it, and it's delivered in a way where it's kind of so matter of fact that you sort of wonder like, were we supposed to have heard about this earlier and that got cut? Because it's implied in the destruction of Mount Weather that all the supplies that they've been taking from there are now gone and that they're sort of left once again on their own resources with like whatever they already had, had taken is now all you, that you have left. Um, yeah. But again, you know, as, as with many of the other things we sort of talked about, it, it was not made explicit enough that I feel like we were meant that early on to interpret that that was sort of the problem. And I think that because I, one of the things that was the most exciting surprise about me when Pike was introduced based on sort of what we had sort of known, like he's going to be the foil, he's going to be kind of Kane's enemy. He's sort of the guy that's like strutting around with a big gun. And I loved that he's the earth skills teacher. Right. Like, oh yeah. my God. What, like a, what so a beautiful twist because he has skills that they need he's the only person here who probably has a genuine intuitive understanding of agriculture and and he's there with farm station and so like they need these people and they need yeah. his expertise and so and it's like such a lost a, a missed opportunity to really like lean into that you know yeah. make that it's the it's basis a, of a land war. Yeah. You yeah, know, like yeah. that is a logical, like he's still the bad guy. He's a bad guy motivated by things that have motivated colonization since like, you know, the dawn of time. And so we, we don't have to like him to understand exactly why he's doing what he's doing and exactly why there are many sane people with their shit together who are looking at him and saying, this is the only person that has a plan to keep us from starving. And so like, yep. I don't like it, but also like this makes sense. I mean, there's, there's so many things around the bombing of Mount Weather and the loss of Abby's hospital. And like, there's so many things around that storyline that I feel like we're sort of introduced and then went nowhere. And, yeah. and Pike being the earth skills teacher, being a significant reason why people trust him is one of the yeah. big reasons I feel like that we kind of got, a little shortchanged by not having more focus on the election because him making the case to people why they should vote for him makes the yeah. case to us, the viewers. Yes. I think why... that's like, that drives me crazy yeah. that they did not understand that. Like the, yeah. a, a, the, uh, uh, an election episode is not about us watching Arcadians make decisions politically. It's about us seeing what the stakes of those decisions are and why they were made. Like, right. this is why we needed to fucking see that election. Right. And it was a humongous mistake. Yes. Because we, we have no, we met, we have no real explicit textual context for why everyone suddenly decided that they hated exactly. Kane and Abby and yeah. liked Pike who brought his own people with him who are not a statistically significant voting majority, which means right. he has convinced Arcadians who've been living with Cain and Abby and thriving, by the way, the place is very pretty. They've got cabbages and yeah. horses and everything. So, so Cain and Abby have clearly been doing a great job. So what is the thing that Pike brings to the table that trumps that so significantly that they are willing to, that people who, who have not been living with him as their leader are like, you're our new guy. Yeah. You know? Well, and here's the other, here's the other big problem with that because it's not even that we didn't see it. It's that it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Right. They, right. He was in jail overnight and they elected him. Right. It literally never even happened in canon. Like right. the whole thing just makes no sense whatsoever. Right. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it was one problem among Yes. Many. <laughs> yes. Um, um, many. But, you know, I was thinking like, okay, so let's, let's talk about, about Lincoln, um, and cry a few tears. 
But um, but also like to, it, it, keeping on the sort of theme of like oh, God, like what I I feel like there had to have been a huge arc with Lincoln that got cut. Um, I feel that all the time. Oh my god! Because I was thinking just the other day about that first scene with Lincoln and Bellamy in, in the first episode of the season. Yeah. Is so I remember see I remember watching that when mm-hmm. it first aired and thinking like this scene is like it was like so obviously meant to be the season in microcosm. Yes. Yes. We start out with Lincoln and Bellamy like at like punching each other but beating each other up and then it right. turns out that they're they're just sparring. You know, but then like and like Bellamy almost wins, and then Lincoln mm-hmm. says, like it's an he says he almost had me, but he was too aggressive. And like and I remember hearing that line the first time and being like, Oh wow, like you guys fucking telegraph that one. Right, right, right. Story. Yeah. Um <laughs> and then like the thing with the guard jacket, you know, like where he like this is this big honor, like, you know, Bellamy's like, Here's your jacket, you're one of us now. Right, right. And Lincoln says, Your sister's not gonna be happy. Like, they set up the whole first half of the season. That was right. clearly just like telling us what the arc was going to be. And then like a couple of those things, you know, like we got a little bit, like little bits and pieces of, of tension between Octavia and Lincoln about him assimilating. Right. And then, you know, obviously like Bellamy messing up because he's too aggressive remains true. Um, (laughs) But I feel like that was, that was so clearly setting up a direct, like it, it was setting it up Bellamy's, Story so that it was it was supposed to be revolving around Lincoln yes. for Bellamy yes. in a way that never played out. Like Lincoln yes. was clearly being set up there as this like fulcrum character that in between, right. but not in right. between in the way of like Octavia, where she wanted to remove herself and right. find something new. But in between in the way that he was like the emblem of the of the kind of like uneasy attempts to um to reconcile the two cultures. Right. And, and like Bellamy's reaction to him in that moment is very telling looking back that his reaction to Lincoln is to say like, well, you're one of us now and that's it. We're done. You know, like you put on the thing, whatever, we're forgetting the ground apart. Okay. You know? Right. But I think like, but, but, but again, but it was like setting up their relationship, Bellamy's and, and Lincoln's relationship specifically as really very key to not just Octavia, but to Bellamy and to what and the choices that he made and why he's making them and on what basis he's making him. Right. And so it makes me suspect that like Lincoln must have had a much bigger role. He yeah. must have had a much like, a, you know, we get a few moments of confrontation between Bellamy and Lincoln, but they never mm-hmm. get to have a conversation. They just kind of right. like glare at each other. And I can't all- help but think that somewhere there is footage there, is, there yeah. or at least there were written scenes, if not shot of them confronting each other and having right. and talking about like Bellamy getting to talk about the choices that he made and why he made them, you know, and being confronted with, with Lincoln saying like, why are you doing this? I'm a grounder. You know me. And right. Bellamy right. being able to getting to say, this is why you're an exception. You know, right. this is why, so that we didn't have to like, so that, that the viewers didn't have to work so hard to fill that stuff in. Cause I think the bones of that, of, of Bellamy's story are still there. Like if you want to excavate them to figure out his arc. Yeah. There, there is a, there is a, it's totally plausible based on who he is as a person version of the story like like there is there is a way that you could totally justify to me every single thing that Bellamy has done and every choice that he has made that would not feel out of canon at all the problem is the connective threads that make those things rooted in who he is as a person were not given to us and I 
And I feel the same way as you. I think that, you know, like, like thinking, you know, thinking as a, as a, you know, as a writer, I feel like everyone's first scene in the season tells us something we're meant to hold on to the rest of the season. Like the, like your, like the way that you introduce a character is so intentional and so specific and something that writers think about so carefully. And so if you look at, if you look at, at key character moments that we get in the first two parts of, of the premiere and what it tells us about where everybody's at and their relationships and, and the foreshadowing that, um, in like the, uh, from what's going on for the rest of the season, then I think that, you know, I think Lincoln had more screen time in the first two parts of the premiere than he did in the entire rest of the season. And, yeah. and I feel really strongly that all the things that, you know, which you and I have talked about before, like if you make a list of all of the sort of plot threads that go nowhere or mysteries that go unexplained in the Arcadia plotline and you reinsert Lincoln hypothetically into those storylines, everything makes sense. You know, the, the scene between him and Abby about the hospital, you know, and about Matt Weather and they have that conversation about how it's going to be perceived among other grounders if the sky people are being seen as colonizing the mountain and the fact that it's Nico who is his friend who, you know, comes to him <laughs> when he's injured, like to be treated by Abby and that that's kind of where the hospital idea comes from. And then in the absence of the hospital, then we have Nico sending patients who need treatment to Abby and, and clearly at some point, like Nico must have come back. There must have been a scene between Nico and Lincoln. There must have been some kind of a connective thread to that. And, and it just all kind of went up in smoke. And if you think yeah. about, if you think about Octavia and, and the, the troubling absence of any interaction between her and Lincoln when he's in jail and, yeah. and her or her even mentioning that he's in jail or him really mentioning her. And the only reason for that is there must have been scenes where that was addressed that are then now gone. Because if there was never a scene written, where Octavia comes to visit Lincoln, that's bizarre. But it, yeah, but but the abs, but 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 their lack of mentioning it makes complete sense. If like when we see Octavia, she's just seen Lincoln, so she's not talking about him. You know, like it 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 makes it makes things fit that wouldn't otherwise. If you say, okay, so what if there was there like that? There clearly was something there that involved Lincoln substantially, and that Octavia's yeah. character and Bellamy's character the other grounders, you know, and, and this whole sort of idea of like that many of them like Lincoln as a person because they have mentally assimilated him as a sky person, Bellamy particularly. And, and that the, the reveal that Bellamy has kind of remained sort of low key xenophobic towards grounders as a whole and has made this mental exception for the man that loves his sister because otherwise like it, he couldn't get past that. The the idea that people see Lincoln as an exception to the rule, making both him and Octavia people who genuinely don't have one place where they sort of specifically fit is really interesting and um and 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 allows and then it makes it not seem out of character that Bellamy is kind of like no seriously fuck all grounders because when he has that scene with Clark where you 
where it's made so clear that he's still holding on to all the stuff that happened when they first landed on the ground. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that it's only Lincoln and, and a small select handful of other grounders that he knows through Lincoln that are friends of Lincoln that he has allowed himself to trust. So like he's cool with Indra because Kane trusts her and Lincoln trusts her and he trusts Lincoln and Kane. So Indra's fine, you know, um, right. And, and Lincoln trusts Nyko, so Nyko's fine. But he doesn't get there with Lexa. And he doesn't get there with, right. sort of with, with, the, with the abstract, like, general grounders with a capital G. We just see that he is a person who has, that everything he does is motivated by protecting the people that he loves and cares about. And he has expanded that circle slightly. So it now has a couple of grounders in it. Right. But, but it's only because he's done the work himself in his own head of convincing himself that Lincoln is a member of the guard. Lincoln is one of right. us. Lincoln is, right. Lincoln is right. not a grounder to Bellamy. And so being reminded of where Lincoln's allegiances are and being reminded that it's hurtful and upsetting to Lincoln to see Bellamy behave this way in ways that are both political and personal because Lincoln is like, I, these are my people. I thought we were friends. I genuinely can't understand how you would do this. And Bellamy having to sort of come to terms with the fact that it's like, it's because he told himself that like Lincoln kind of didn't count, you know? But like, but like the problem is that, you know, like we never got to see any of that. And we never got to, to see work. any of that. You have, yeah. you have to like work to fill in those gaps. Yeah. And there are only so many fans, like only people who are really dedicated to Be- Bellamy, I think are going to be willing to do that, you know, and everyone else right. is going to be kind of like, ah, well, fuck that guy, you know, like, right. which is where, um, I think that's where a lot of people are right now. And I, so right. like, it's a big problem for Bellamy's character because like, you know, because we'll like we'll do the work to figure that out for Bellamy because we love yeah. Bellamy, but a lot of people won't. But then also, like I mean, I think like it's it's another one of those like really frustrating lost opportunities because if like one of the themes that we're seeing emerge, I think now after three oh nine of this season is like tension and the pressure between you know choosing between people that you care about and then your like political convictions, you know, or. or right what you think is best overall. Right. Right. So like that kind of like to, to, if we had had Bellamy and Lincoln's arc, you know, like that, that relationship as a piece of things, then that crystallizes that so nicely, you know, because like, because Lincoln is there, would be there saying like, this is about, or like they each have a kind of perspective on the bigger picture and what's important. Right. And then, you know, and then on the other hand, they have this like personal commitment to each other. And, and so to see that, like to have that really, relationship that personal relationship break down because they sort of split on these other issues would have sort of set up nicely to have for the reversal that later comes when Bellamy decides to he was wrong to make that decision to choose another way you right. know so yeah I don't know it's just very sad yeah okay so Lincoln is dead yes <sighs> So we knew this was coming. We were exactly correct about when. So we were like <laughs> braced for it. And there were, and I will, I will say that if it had to happen, which I do not grant that premise, but if it yeah. had to happen, barring giving him a better, more substantial storyline over the course of the season, I think that in terms of how this episode handled being the episode where Lincoln dies, I think it did some pretty significant things right until yeah. the very end. I, I feel yeah. like there were some beautiful moments between Lincoln and Kane and Sinclair um, in, in the prison. Yeah. 
um, Lincoln being the leader of the imprisoned grounders, just like like very small moments of of him being the person who's giving comfort, him being the person who is you know tending to them, is making them feel safe because they are grounders who don't speak English, which is new for us. You know that, yeah, that he's yeah. he's the only and and so in in his absence, like now what happens to those people? You know, but. But we see that he sort of has has taken on this role as, you know, as their leader, that he's um, and we get to see him being who he is, you know, and and that really sweet moment between him and Kane about, you know, him thinking that it would have worked, you know, Kane's plan to like make this guy yeah. for the 13th, you know, 13th plan. And and so so we got some really lovely moments of of just sort of those three men, you know, thinking about their legacies a little bit and and. And handled, I think, in a really lovely way and, and giving Lincoln a chance to be, he's a person that talks Pike out of killing the other grounders twice. Because, because again, like when, when Pike promises in that last moment, you know, like, I will keep your people alive and safe. Like, I believe him. I believe that yeah. the, the, the better version of Charles Pike we keep getting glimpses of is a person who sees and respects in Lincoln that Lincoln is also just doing what's best for his people. He sees that there are ways in which he and Lincoln are alike. It isn't enough to make him see him as fully human or as, you know, or to to sort of soften from his rigid stance. But I believe, I want to believe him that he was telling the truth in that final moment about what's going to happen to those grounders. And so giving Lincoln the dignity of being the leader and the hero in that moment giving him that beautifully shot and really just heartrending moment of like, you know, him walking down the hallway and the moment of surrender and that kind of like Christ figure outstretched hands and that beautiful sort of shot from below, like the, the way the moment of his like voluntarily embracing his fate. Yeah. I like, I liked that moment. I, I, yeah, I thought, I thought they gave him, I thought one thing that they did right is that they gave him a lot of agency. They gave him a lot of death. agency. He got, yes. he, I mean, he chose to die. He chose to give himself up. We didn't see them like rushing up and knocking him into the ground or anything like that. Right. Like he was standing up, you know, his hands yeah. out. He's like, okay, come get me. Yeah. You know, and they, they kind of like, you can see the, the men sort of like slow down and lower their guns and they're a yeah. little bit in awe of him. You know, we mm-hmm. see him. Mm-hmm. He walks out. He's the one who chooses to drop to his knees. Nobody pushes him. Right. Like he drops right. to his knees on his own. He refuses to give Pike his last words. Yes. You know, so insofar as I, I think they, they did a, a good job of like in all the ways that they could, that they could give the character agency in his death and, and in the kind of like framing of his death, I think they did a good job of that, which really, which doesn't like remove the sort of fundamental problems with the fact that he's died or, you know, like, or, or, or some of the other issues with it right. that's surrounding it. But I think it does mitigate them some. He, I think the important thing to note is that he was given the kind of agency in choosing his own death that was so upsetting in its absence with Lexa. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah, the, like no stupid coincidence, not even like situational coincidence. Right, it wasn't right. Like, oh, no, no, you know, like Octavia messed up and he got him killed or yeah. like, yeah, he messed up and got him captured or something like that. You know, yeah. like, it wasn't anything like dumb like that. Right. It was, it was that Pike said something that he knew would get at least one of them to reveal themselves. Um, 
Yeah. And of course it was Lincoln. And and so the fact that he that he gets to say goodbye to Octavia, the fact that they get that moment, I, I do feel a little him 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 using the like knockout drug syringe on Octavia yeah, felt really a little like with the like like showing love by taking a right other people's choices and, and or yeah, consciousness right 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 and stop. it's like and I and I understand I I understand why like I get why he had to do it because there was oh, sure, no yeah. way there was no way she wasn't going to just trot along right after him and get herself also killed and yes. also there wasn't time to argue with her yeah and yes and so so it it makes total narrative plot sense like I I get why he did it and yeah. it still bugs me um, it's so much there was also like a certain amount of like parallelism with her having done that to Bellamy right that was like ah, but yeah. it's still it's just like oh, okay right right it's like you're, you're paralleling this moment but I didn't like it the first time I know, or the yeah, second exactly. time yeah so so that was so that so I so that I didn't love although I did feel I I in the moment I I was so moved like by the beautiful sort of frame shot of you know, of Kane holding Octavia and just sort of watching forlornly and them telling each other to stay strong. And it was so beautiful. Um, yeah. and, and I was just like haunted by it until my friend Brittany pointed out the inherent implied hilariousness of thinking of Kane trying to get through the wall vents, carrying <laughs> unconscious Octavia. <laughs> like, what the hell is he supposed to do with this? Like, how is he going to keep him, like, bonking her head? So then I was like, okay, well, now it's going to work. But that, but, but that, you know, him, him wanting to make sure that Octavia is taken care of, him just plain old not having time to to have that conversation with her in that moment because it's like, this is, he has to save his people. And, and I think that I would imagine, again, things left on the cutting room floor. We, we've seen very little of this specific, like, relationship that he has built with those grounders until this episode. And I think that if we had seen over the longer term more of him interacting with them and more of him kind of stepping into, you know, cause he was a person who he was an outlaw. He never wanted to be a leader and he's now kind of become, then, you know, he's sort of become their, their head of kind of. And, yeah. and so getting to see more of that relationship and, and who they are to him that justifies his willingness to die for them in a way that he knows is going to devastate Octavia. I, I feel, I felt a little bit like if I really, really think about it, do I feel like based on purely what we've seen on the screen that Lincoln would choose those people over Octavia? And I'm just enough unsure that I'm convinced that there's information we're missing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's um, right. But I yeah. do, but I, but I do, I feel like the, the really important thing that they did do right was that all of the kind of, um, heroism inherent in the choosing of the manner of your own death that Lexa didn't get. That was the thing that was in some ways the most upsetting about the way Lexa's death was handled was just the sort of stupid randomness of it. And that Lincoln gets to choose to die for his people in the way that if Lexa had to die, that that's the way you would expect that a character like that goes out. And I do think that I think that there's something 
interesting and I don't quite know where it's going, but I feel like it's got to be significant in some way that they're both grounders killed by guns. Like people in a society that hates guns, that hate the weapons of the Sky Crew, and and yet our two most significant grounder characters of the entire show are killed by Sky Crew weapons. And I don't know what that's meant to mean that they don't die the way their people die. Like they don't they don't get grounder deaths. But it struck me, you know, when I was rewatching the episode the other day. Just that it's like, it's a handgun in both cases. You know, it's like, it's a weapon that wouldn't exist yeah. if the Sky people hadn't crashed down in their land. Like, Lexa and Lincoln would still be alive. So there's interesting things, I think, to mind there about the, like, the merging of these two cultures being sometimes a terrible thing. You know, sometimes yeah. taking the worst yeah. of each other's yeah. cultures instead of the best of them. But I do, yeah, but I think they did a lot of things right. I think it was beautifully shot until... We come to that moment. Oh, God. And we have, like, so you get, like, this very nice back and forth between Lincoln and Pike, and you get him retaining his sort of last bit of agency yeah. in refusing get, like, to, like, you know, that he has, like, like not for you. I have nothing left to say to you. And he looks up to the sky, and he says, may we meet again in Trigetta Slang, and it's beautiful. Oh, and, and it's then, heartbreaking. And they cut to Octavia's little face. Oh, God. Oh, I know. God. And they're and like, wet, and they're in the rain, and Kane is holding yeah. her. And then, and so, like, up until that point, I was like, okay, I'm, like, I'm weeping like a damn baby, but yeah. also I'm yeah. willing to go where you're taking me because yeah. it's yeah. lovely and it's so really moving. And it's so, and it's, like, so, and it's, like, giving the character, yeah. you know, like, if he had to die, which, again, like, I don't grab the promise, but right. if he's going to die, like, they, I feel like they gave him everything that he deserved as right. a character in terms right. of agency and respect and weight yeah. And meaning and emotional impact and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then. And then. Oh, God. And then just like, what the fuck, man? Like, why was that necessary on any level for us to see any of that? Yeah. For us to like see, you know, the, 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 the gunshot wound to his head, like, right. which I'm just sorry. Like, you know what? Like, I don't really grant. There are very, very few situations in which I would grant that that was genuinely artistically necessary. Right, right, exactly. That level of shock value. And then, like, for us, like, for our last shot of Lincoln, for him to be in a puddle bleeding, dead, like... Right, In a puddle of mud. He's In a puddle of mud. Yeah. Like, on the ground. My beef with that moment... Well, my my beefs are threefold. One, um, I (laughs) I feel... (laughs) I'm going to put that on your tombstone, by the way. My beefs are threefold. (laughs) I so so first of all I feel like sort of speaking of cultural contexts that go uninterrogated a black man on his <laughs> knees while a man in uniform holds a gun to his head is not an image that you can take lightly no, and no, definitely not. and I and I feel once again like with the dead lesbian trope and the straight bullet like with the fridging of Gina like with yeah. um like with Octavia's, you know, beating at people of color to knock some white yep. sense into them. There there are yep. things where it's like, I know that you have good liberal intentions. I know that you are not intending yeah. to make this offensive, but you're also not seeing this the way people who watch black men getting shot in the head by cops on the news. Like the it's when we see this all the time. This is yeah. the real world that we live in. And so yeah. if you're going to use that image 
You have to use it in a way that feels like we know that you know what image you're using. Exactly. And I didn't you're feel that it, way. You're doing it purposefully for, yes. you know, to make some kind yes. of very, very important statement. Right. Which you should, like, almost never do. Which you almost never do, white <laughs> showrunners. But if you are going yeah. to do it, if you've interrogated it thoroughly and you yeah. said, no, I want you to connect this to Black Lives Matter. I want you to draw this exactly. line between what you see on the news and what's going on in the show. I want yeah. this political parallel to be clear. I mean, I don't want to say then, okay, go ahead, because, again, very rarely is other thing to do. But then I understand that you know what this looks like to the rest of us. And so so my problem number yeah. one was I felt like, is anyone thinking of this, like with Lex's death, in the context yeah. of how it will feel to viewers? And yeah. I believe the answer to that is not as early as they should have been. And no. then, and then thing number two is, you know, is like you said, that there was a, there was a real focus on showing us the blood, showing us the gore. It is unquestionable that this is a very violent show and it always has been a very violent show. And, and you don't have to be like, you know, a precious snowflake about the fact that like, oh no, bad things happen because that is just, that is, is the show. And we all understand that, but not making the distinction between taking a beloved character who we have like lived with for two, you know, two and a half full seasons and, and not taking into account that it isn't maybe the best choice to, to push so hard on him bleeding, like on, on, yeah. him, on the, on the blood and gore that isn't just generic yeah. field of dead grounders, blood and gore. It's Lincoln. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think yeah. that the emotional weight of that, I know that they knew it was going to be emotional. And I think that they maybe were thinking of it being emotional in a, in a different, much less specific, much less sort of harrowing way coming right on the heels of Lexa. Yeah, and I agree. And like, there's a there's a quality to the violence they depict this season that is, I think, different yes. from in previous seasons. Yes. There's there's like <sighs> there's a Game of Thronesiness to there's it. a Game of Thronesiness. There's a, there's a sense there. There's a definite sense, as in this case, um, in Lex's death, uh, honestly, in Titus's death, and especially yeah. in Gina's, yeah, that the violence is only there, basically to be violent like right. it doesn't really serve any purpose like right. the, the like the sheer gruesomeness of the deaths and the way that they're shot and depicted and the way that we like linger with people as they die horribly right doesn't really serve any purpose other than just being like hey look gruesome horrible death and it, and it has this kind of like and especially like I, this was really disturbing to me with gina and i think this is also true with lincoln um less so with titus because it's a different character but like even kind of a little bit but especially Gina and Lincoln, the, I just remember being so disturbed because when, um, you know, she got stabbed, like she was killed in such a horrible way. Right. You know, she got stabbed suddenly out of nowhere and then she died slowly mm-hmm. and we had to watch as she died, as she right. bled out in pain, yeah. you know. But I just remember like the way that they sort of like shot her face so close in yeah. and like really lingered on the pain and suffering that she was having and lingered on like the, 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 the awfulness of that death that yeah. felt like there was pleasure being derived on the part of the people making it or maybe that we were supposed to be on in some way deriving some kind of pleasure from watching that suffering. Yes. Like it was yes. fetishized. Yes, you know, like yes. the suffering and the death and the violence of it was mm-hmm. fetishized. Yeah, and by the camera, by the style of shooting, by the way that it was presented, mm-hmm. in a way that has not been true 
in previous seasons where gruesome deaths have been gruesome. They're bad because they're bad. Right. You know, like, like, like they're much more just like, like shocking, not, and not, you know, they're just kind of like, the impact is that like, when someone dies horrible, it's horribly, it's horrible, you know? Um, and this was a much more sort of like, weirdly erotic sort of, especially Gina, but I think like that, that you got a little bit of that with Lincoln. And it's disturbing to me that like, you know, we got that, that happens the most with a, with a female character who really only existed to be fridged Mm -hmm. and then forgotten. And then it happened with, with Lincoln, or it's even more upsetting because we know Lincoln, but another character who is also like, I mean, a number of parallels, like with with a, uh, with a man of color, but then also two characters who were supposed to be martyrs. Right. Um, you know, two characters who are dying in order to motivate basically main characters. Lincoln mm-hmm. is less of a, you know, I wouldn't say he's a straight fridging the way that Gina was just like a straight up. Right. Classic shove her in the fridge. Like right. that was, she right. only existed for that to happen to her. And then for Bellamy to like be messed up. Right? right. Like that was a straight up fridging. Lincoln isn't really a straight up fridging. It's not really the same thing, but those elements are still there. Right. You know, so they're like sort of glorified in death. And the painfulness and awfulness and gruesomeness of their death is glorified in order to kind of like serve this other. And it's just like, it's, it's a pattern again that is really like disturbing to me. And it's something that's new. It's something it's, that they haven't done before. It's new because I, I, I feel like the, and it's one of, it's one of the things that I've, I found the biggest turnaround in season three from the, from the previous seasons, you know, is, is that it feels like the 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 moment where like watching Clark kill Finn or watching the emotional fallout on Kane after the culling like like the deaths on this show mean something because they're shown to us through the lens of the characters we care about and the impacts on them and so my yeah. so like my third my my threefold beef my third one is <laughs> Octavia is our lens into <laughs> why the loss of Lincoln is a tragedy. And what I don't understand is why we couldn't have had all of that play out from Octavia's point of view. Like I I think both the camera and like, and also like emotionally, like I think that a lot of the visual elements would have been a lot less troubling if instead of the camera, like you said, like sort of, aggressively zooming in on it, making sure that we could see the blood trickling down Lincoln's temple, that we are watching Octavia watch it. That we're we're yeah. with her yeah. and Kane. We are in Octavia's point of view. You know, like I, I because I think from the from the moment that he says, May we meet again to her and then Pike lifts up the gun, I think we could cut away and not cut back. Yes. Back. Yes. And I think that that would have I think a, a a not insignificant chunk of my issues with that scene would have gone away if that was how they had shot it. I completely agree. I still I don't feel like it was narratively necessary, and I still feel like if it was narratively necessary for Lincoln to die, that he should have gotten. You know, it's like it's like if you combine them, Lincoln and Lexa together got one really good death 
because yeah. like, because like Lexa got the whole season of buildup of where we get to know her as a character that Lincoln was cheated of. But Lincoln got the agency in choosing the manner of his death that Lexa was cheated of. But Lexa got the really beautiful long goodbye death scene <laughs> moment. And we saw immediately the plot significance. So it's like, if you take the best elements of both of those things and combine them, you're like, that's one good way to yeah. kill off a character. And they each got like scraps of that and got shortchanged in really major ways. Well, and another thing, of course, is that like, I think like Lincoln's death would be, uh, you know, like if he, if he had had a real arc in the first half of the season, his death would also be a lot better. It'd be a lot more meaningful, right. Right. you know, like. You now it's very meaningful because everybody loves Lincoln, loves Lincoln, but it, it, you know, like narratively, it doesn't really like resolve anything, right? Right. Um, because yeah. there hasn't been a narrative for him, or hasn't been really a part of it, and so it, so it just kind of feels like pointless, right? You know, in a, you know, like and it isn't, but like it feels kind of pointless because it's just sort of like, oh, Lincoln's back uh, in order to die. Well, and, you know, and it's not like resolving something. And that was and, the thing that was the worst yeah. about it for me was it was yeah. like, he was in this season so little and every yeah. time he was in a scene, I was so happy because Ricky Whittle is so good. And, and so yeah. like, so the tiny, tiny fragments of Lincoln that we got were wonderful and beautiful and so well done and then it just left you being like why why are you why are you going away again like and like why are you only right. 30 seconds you know um, <laughs> and and the thing that i find the most troubling and again and we're and we're too early to know if this is how it's going to play out but i am what i'm waiting to i guess make my final assessment on on how upset I am about Lincoln's death. I am upset. And the degree to which I remain by the end of the season upset is going to have a lot to do with whether Lincoln's death ends up in the long run doing anything except driving a wedge between the blakes. Because yes. the thing about Lexa is yeah. that Lexa's death, which was full of problems, is a vital plot-related key to the linking of the AI storyline and the grounder storyline that yeah. that she that that I I mean and yes there are other ways to have done it and it could have been handled a lot better but but I am willing to grant the premise that killing off that character for for the fact of her death and what we learn after she dies about the AI and all that kind of stuff to be necessary. I'm like I'm willing to go with you there, but it was botched on execution in like every level. But but the fact of her death had instant and immediate narrative significance. Yeah. And and Lincoln's death, as it has been set up, leaves us with the only thing that we are sure of in the impact of that is that Octavia is going to beat the shit out of her brother. And beyond yeah. that, we don't know. And so yeah. if it is so it's possible that the death of Lincoln, maybe maybe the grounders in prison will have further significance. Maybe like yeah. I don't know. Like it, they're they're may they maybe holding back a card they haven't played yet that there wasn't room for in this episode to give us something that you know maybe like something in Octavia's arc. I don't know. Like something happens to her or something happens to other characters that is monumentally significant because Lincoln died. Besides just because this is what, this is what does make it feel like. Like, it smacks a bit of fridging if the only reason for it to happen is because 
They wanted to force this massive confrontation. And the only thing in the world big enough to drive that significant of a wedge between Bellamy and Octavia is something bad happens to Lincoln that is objectively perceived by Octavia to be Bellamy's fault. And from the minute we saw that in the trailer in December, we were like, oh, shit. That's what it's going to be. And we were all just like hoping against hope. We were that like, that's too it. obvious. So awful. Yeah. So, so that, so I, I think, I guess my, my feeling about Lincoln is that I am, I'm very unhappy and I will be able to become <laughs> over time less unhappy if I, if it does turn out that this meant something significant to the advancing of the whole story. I think my, my suspect. And I, and I don't actually know how much this makes me feel any better. I mean, again, it's going to depend on how it plays out. Right. So I think it's it's definitely going to be instrumental to Octavia's storyline right. beyond Bellamy because I right. think what they're doing with Octavia pretty clearly right now is they're just they're just isolating her. Like Octavia has to get to the point where she has right. where it's just her. You know, like like Indra's gone, she's gone back to Polis. Lincoln is gone. She's gonna, you know, this is gonna like cause a break with her brother, you know? So I think they're pushing her to a point where, where it's just Octavia, you know, like all, and, and, and Octavia has to like putting in a position where Octavia has to make some affirmative choices about what she's going to do and who she's going to be, not based on any of the relationships that she's had so far to define her. And, And, and Octavia hasn't been defined by a sort of society or culture, you know, like she's always kind of been like, she's not an Arcadian and she's not a grounder, but she's always been very defined by specific relationships. Right. And so I think the thing that's happening is that she's being sort of systematically stripped of those relationships. And then we're going to like, so, so that's her story is like kind of finding her way without those people. And so again, like, so I think, you know, like killing Lincoln is more than just, the Blake confrontation, right. you know, I think it, it, it contributes to, to Octavia's story and Bellamy's. I think like, it's pretty clear to me that Octa- that Lincoln dying is going to be like, that's going to be a big factor. If not like the sort of like deciding factor for Bellamy, um, yes. really, really realizing like, okay, like the, the, like I, I was fundamentally wrong in the choices that I made and I, right. and what I decided to do right. because I was wrong. It led to this happening. You know, I think like, right. I think it's not just that Octavia beats him up. I think it's that, that Lincoln dies. So I think like, I think that Lincoln's death is really instrumental to both of their storylines, not just the breakup between the two siblings, but then also in motivating Bellamy, Bellamy's sort of like revelation and redemption and, um, and him, him sort of working for redemption. And, and, and like, really, I think this is very important. And I hope that I'm right. Him realizing that he was wrong and exactly why. Right. And I think we're going to get that because we have that little teased bit of dialogue that, uh, Jason Rothenberg accidentally let slip to Mo Ryan, where Bellamy says to Clark, what do you do when you, when you realize that you're the bad guy? So we know that that's coming. So I think right. that that's a big piece of it. And for Octavia, yeah. it's about like her forcing her to, you know, like, like isolating her, forcing her to, to sort of not have anyone to turn to. So that she has to make some choices. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure that that actually makes me feel any better about Lincoln dying. Yeah. I don't think it does either. I think I it will, it will keep you from making me angry. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think I agree. I think, I think I will. I will feel even more upset about it if it turns out that it doesn't go anywhere. But I, I, I remain unconvinced that it was necessary because I feel, yeah. I feel like at its heart, 
they set up this season as being about the integration of the grounders and the sky crew. And in a, in a way where I feel like it is startling to me that Linktavia is not the center of the whole season then. Yeah, like, like it really should have been. It really <laughs> should have been. I, because it felt so clear to me the way the last season ended. I felt like, okay, so if you, if you project ahead to, to where is a likely place for this show overall, when it finally goes up the air to end. And it feels like, um, like you said, like, like we're dismantling the pre-existing systems. We're building a new society that is going to be taking elements of both and merging them into one. And, and so, you know, who, who lives, who dies, who is still standing at the Tell end. Your story. I was totally thinking that, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't say it. And I was like, I wondered Aaron's thinking it. Uh, classic. Um, but so, so the, the who's left standing at the end is up for debate of, of nearly all except a handful of those characters. But, but the idea of the building of a new society that merges grounder and sky crew culture feels like, like the most inevitable part of that felt like Lincoln and Octavia with a baby. Like Lincoln yeah. and Octavia yeah. as, <laughs> you know, as the people who are going to, like, like the first, the first grounder sky crew child, you know, like, like the, like yeah. the, the, the concrete and, and visible symbol of the future generations of merging these two cultures and like repopulating the earth. Um, yeah. I'm, it, I'm mild, I'm still mildly concerned that we're going to find out that Octavia is pregnant. Well, and so that was so on, on my list of like, random things that went nowhere that I haven't figured out yet, whether they're significant or not, is the fact that Jackson explicitly mentions to Abby about women having their contraceptive chips taken out. That line wouldn't be in there if it wasn't supposed to mean something. And the question is just, did it mean something that then got cut? Or is it, does it seem meaningless because the meaning has not yet been revealed, which means that somebody at Arcadia is preggers. And, and we only saw Octavia and Lincoln sleep together, like in the, in the premiere. And then, and then they have like not been in frame together basically since the end <laughs> of one had a part two. So I, I would assume that we're meant to assume that if it happened, it was then. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I don't know how that would, uh, yeah. yeah I, I feel <laughs> like, like I hadn't thought about that until you said it just now that she could, that even with Lincoln dead, Octavia being pregnant, and and the whole baby thing could be uh, yeah mm, I don't know how yeah to do that. okay yeah yeah I All don't right. know I don't know yeah. I'm, I'm sort of yeah. like I feel like it's a distinct possibility but it, I, I think you're right like, I think you're Ooh. right because <laughs> like because there were there were rumors coming flying around that came from somewhere about the idea of like Bellamy being a dad but if yeah. if that came from somebody saw Bellamy holding a baby like like if that came from something that somebody saw and it yeah. could be just like Bellamy being an uncle like that like that could explain where that random rumor came oh, yeah. from you know yeah, um yeah, sure. and and that yeah and that giving that line to Jackson where you're like what are you what are you telling us what is this well um, and plus I also realized like Octavia lived under the floor so mm -hmm. did she ever get a, a contraceptive chip oh you know what she might not have and she, she was in um she was in like solitary I think in the box that's a really good point does so, like does she ever even get a contraceptive well, chip? Well, right. I don't think it's I, not for sure. I think we we don't. Yeah, that's a really good question. 
Um, so I think last thing before we wrap up, because we've already gone over twice the amount of time that we had budgeted. Um, we managed to do this in under four hours. Yeah, this is ever so Um, but I do feel I can't let this go without yelling about Cabby for, um, Oh my God. So, okay. So first of all, so, so let's, let's begin. Let's open our hymnals to page 56. Yeah. Are your beefs once again threefold? Only it's not oh beef. It's like whatever, yeah. like oh the good opposite of beef would be. Oh my God. I, I, <laughs> ugh, I just, so, for, so I just, I mean, in, in, first of all, okay. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm overwhelmed with feelings. So, so I, I, I have, I have spent much of, much of my life, um, over the past couple of weeks has been, reassuring on the internet, you know, panicked young members of the fandom who are terrified that Kane is going to die, that Kane is not going to die because they truly believe that Henry Ian Cusick has a bulletproof contract. And like, and at the very <laughs> least to the end of this season, I truly think that he and Abby are going to be fine. But, um, but the, but the way that they, I mean, the, the, the way that episode eight ended and, and the like, that harrowing, like the interrogations. I mean, like it just like I had, I've been, I've been awash in cane feels, you know, for such a long time. Yeah. And, you know, even knowing what we sort of knew from looking at the behind the scenes photos, this was probably going to be the episode where the kiss happened. Yeah. So I knew I was going to love it for that reason. Um, and then, <laughs> and then there was, there was even more, like, even if it had been like the only scene they had together was the kiss, I would have been like, this is the best episode of the season. You know, <laughs> but the fact that we got, like so many other, so first of all, so, so call back to Kane's brand, like call back to Kane's desire oh, yeah. to be, to be the peaceful leader, to assimilate yeah. his love of the grounders, you know, him sitting in the prison cell, just that subtle visual of like, just him kind of contemplatively running his fingers over that, you know, scar on his arm and, and thinking about what he must be thinking about, about like how close they all came to this all working is like, heartbreaking and then the scene with abby on the way to the execution i just i can't i can't, i have i have watched that scene like probably a hundred times since <laughs> since thursday um i can't stop watching it because it is perfect it is first of all i think Paige and ian don't get nearly enough credit i think from the general fandom for what phenomenal actors they are. They have two oh, yeah. of the most expressive faces you've ever seen on television. And, and so, and, and the camera loves them. Yeah. As Tyra Banks would say. And, um, <laughs> and so, so the way, the way that scene is shot and the close-ups on their incredibly subtle facial expressions, I thought was, was like you said, like it was one of those moments where like, Letting those emotional moments breathe has been the thing that all of 3A felt like it was missing in nearly yeah. every relationship. And so Definitely. giving us like two and a half full minutes of just of, of stillness and not a huge amount of dialogue and then looking at each other. I'm a big fan as a writer of like, how can you say I love you without saying I love you? You know, at like... How can you find an interesting, unexpected way for a character to say something that we know that's what it means? Which is why, like, I freaked out and texted you when she yes. said, I can't do this again. I can't again. do this again. Like, it was, like, so... Oh, my amazing. God. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. Like, this is yes. perfect. This yes. Is perfect. Like, this is the absolute, like, what is the best way you could have Abby tell Kane that she loves him? And it's to say, I can't do this again. You know, which is just, like, such a, a beautiful, subtle little... Yeah 
moment, like not only for their relationship, but like callback for Abby's character, you know, like callback way back to the beginning, you know, to the very beginning of the beginning, which is Abby and Jake and Clark. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought that was like, that was so, so well done. I love that moment. It was perfect. The way that Paige says that line and, and, and what happens immediately after just broke me because she like, like watching her kind of gear up the courage a little bit to say it. And then she says it and then it cuts to him and you know that he knows, like you can tell he knows exactly. and, And he can't say it back he can't move that moment forward and make it explicit because he's yeah. going to be dead in 15 minutes and right. so he's just receiving it like a gut punch and then yeah. and then to see her like when she reaches up like to touch his face and kind of almost pulls back and then is kind of just like fuck it and like and they <laughs> you know and and we've seen her like she's touched him before she's touched his face before she's kissed his cheek they've held hands like but it's like now the thing's been said and it's out there and so everything's different now and so just the act of like of touching him is like loaded in this totally new way that was like so powerful and so sexy and romantic and so heartbreaking you know, and him just begging her, you know, not to like, not to do it. And it felt like it was, it was so like true to who they are because it had, because A, because the perfect, the perfect Jake callback. I love it when this show remembers that Jake Griffin exists and is monumentally important. And so that was yeah. just like, I'm like, I'm sold. But also the the beautiful little callback to like her being like, sneaky as fuck like her you know him her being like then i'm not gonna get caught like what she does is sneak around behind totalitarian dictators backs to get shit done because she did it to him for years you know and (laughs) and so so bringing that that back up too that he's like i know that you are a wily minx but like i also (laughs) like but like please don't get beheaded you know and then but then also that like the really heartbreaking kind of like passing back of the chancellor's pin for the last time you know like like that that they've spent this whole season trading power back and forth in a way that what that ultimately reveals is that who wears the chancellor pin is meaningless because they have finally reached a place where they have established that they have the same values you know that they want the same things for their people and that's new they didn't before you know but they've come together yeah. and they want to build the same kind of society yeah. and Abby can recognize that Kane's yeah. love of grounder culture and that this him being a man of peace and these things that he wants for their people um that he has a vision of the future that she doesn't have and that in his like final moments that he trusts her to be the person who carries out that vision and that he trusts that they are on the same side, kind of <laughs> indicating that like to him, it has long since stopped mattering, like who has the title and who wears the pen because the two of them are like a unit, you know, and, and the yeah. way, and that describing her as like that she's the one who's going to lead the people out of the dark. And we've been getting all season. I feel like this really beautiful, like, light dark metaphor language and how people talk about like what love means and who their loved ones are to each mm-hmm. other. I think that those to me, like the fact that those are the words that he used, I felt just so significant, you know, and, and then, and then that she totally fucking goes in to kiss him. And like <laughs> Abby Griffin made the first move. This is on yeah. record. This is canon. And, and then him pulling away and saying, don't make this harder, which was just like, 
the I was like, oh my god, this is this is like this is so classic Marcus. I could die, you know. Like this is just like, <laughs> like oh my god, this is so like hashtag that's so Kane, you know. And then the sort of the close up on that sort of on her devastated face, and I remember thinking like. Because her absence in the episode where he gets arrested is, like, noticeable. And they didn't address (laughs) where she was in this episode. But I remember thinking, like, if all we get of Abby is, like, grieving and then, like, the kiss. Like, I mean, that's fine. But what I really want is, like, Abby on the Adventure Squad. Because, like, this is what she does. The whole jailbreak sequence, I loved. I watched watched that whole thing, like, five times. Because it was so... It was so crafty. I mean, it was so satisfying as like an escapade. You know, all the little details of like Kane crawling out of the floorboards and being like, it's a little cramped in there. And Octavia's like, yeah, thanks, dad. <laughs> like, I know. Um, You're like, yeah, try and live in there for 16 years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, which was a beautiful moment. I mean, that's, yes. that's, that's now in my top five Kane Tavia moments, I would say, yes. because it was so yeah. perfect. But, and then, but then to see that when she comes running in, like, it's like, she was clearly involved in the hatching of this scheme and we didn't see it happen. We didn't see her go to Harper and Miller. It implies that in some way that she's been in on this um, more than we were shown, you know, in, yeah. in a way that I found really satisfying where it's like, she's maybe she was to some degree always on the squad, you know, but yeah. she knew where to yeah. go. She knew, she knew whose door to knock on, um, which I loved. And then I also really loved, even though I, I knew this was going to be inevitable was that because she's so locked into the Raven storyline, that narratively, Abby can't leave camp for a while. So it seemed clear that Kane gets out, they have a kiss because Kane is on the way to do some, you know, he's off somewhere else, and that she has to stay behind. And so, but so even knowing that that was going to happen, the fact that (laughs) it happens based on her calling back what he said to her, I found yeah. so moving because to me, like one of the things I love about their relationship is that they always act like people who are totally not listening to each other. And they always are <laughs> like their whole, like the whole, you know, two and a half season arc is shaped by like, she'll say a thing and he'll be like, no, you're wrong. And I'm right. And blah, blah, blah. And then later he will be like, okay, Abby was right. You know? So having that moment there, like where she says, like, I'm staying because they need someone to like lead them out of the dark. I was just like, oh, perfect. And then the kiss was glorious i mean it was just it was beautiful (laughs) and romantic and like the music i mean it's just i was so happy and and so i like to pretend like that's where the episode ended and that's all that happened (laughs) wait isn't it i think i think i think uh lincoln went upstate to live with a nice family on the farm where he could run around outside you know like more room for him to play. He, he stepped through a portal into Neil Gaiman's universe and we're all very happy for him. Okay, so I think we should wrap up. Yes. So yeah, so we'll so next week then we'll be uh, we'll be recapping episode 10 with yes. probably fewer digressions into our thoughts and feelings about all the rest of 3A since this is our first time. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, so hopefully let, next time um, Mike. Maybe. I don't think so, but there's a possibility that I will get to rhapsodize about Bellamy and Clark reunion, but like, uh, well, not, I'm not sure. I don't think it's going to happen until episode 11, but... Um, but your day is coming. It's going to happen. My day is coming. Yes. It's going to arrive. Uh. <laughs> okay. So, right. thank you, everybody, for listening, whoever ends up listening to this, and, <laughs> and we will... Thank you, whoever you are. <laughs> um, and we will be back with more next week. <laughs>